Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. I'm your favorite Church Planner podcast host. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just letting them know. That I'm is kind of true. I, I'm used nowadays to... Well, see, now we got more competition. That's true. There's Robert and Tim. I, I finally learned his name. Not his last name, mind you, but his first name. Is it Tim? It's Tim. I didn't I know think. that. Now, see, now you got me wondering until I get it right. <laughs> I just remember seeing him and he was like a supermodel. And I'm like, oh man, like there's actually a good looking, well, another good looking podcast host on the Church Planner podcast. Hey, it's crazy, man. Like I keep getting all these old videos thrown up of me and Hugh Halter, me and Caesar K, like back from when we were at Rick Warren's church. And funny enough, we're going to talk today about uh, that. That's the time that we met Rick Warren. And you, you know what? I got to go on a little rip right here because you you made me think about it. Do you remember when a certain conference, which shall remain nameless, tried to tell us we couldn't interview their speakers, <laughs> and we were like, uh, "Yeah, that ain't going to happen." Uh, Come here, Durin Gray. We're going over here. Yeah, oh, come yeah. here. You know, we you actually met. We're going over here. We met in Rick Warren's offices. As soon as they told us we couldn't, we went to Rick Warren's office, talked to his. We were like, we were like, you don't own this church. They're here by their good graces. So yeah. uh, if they want to let us use one of their conference rooms, we can do that. So we went and captured all these videos in their con. And then we found this little nook, this little grotto that must have been like the youth area where no one could see. And we're like, dude, we could do it right here. So the offices are cool. They're like, yeah, you can use this office all day. Bring whoever you want. And so, yeah, we captured Derwin. He was our first. Then we got a little 
risky and cocky. And then we kept it. And so I've got all these interviews. I remember when we did Vanderstelt out there in that little grotto. and Dude. Yeah, I mean, it it was fun, man. And we just interviewed all those guys. And we were like, come on, kick us out. Kick us out in front of Derwin Gray, one of your primetime speakers. Go for it. it I like- remember, I can't remember who it was, came up to us again and said something about, oh, you know, and I and I just said, oh, no, we asked uh, Rick Warren's office and they said it was cool. We'll just do all of our interviews up there. And they just look like, like dumbfounded, like. I don't know how what dare to do you. With you guys. How you know, dare like, you? Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, Rick Warren's people said it's cool. <laughs> I just messed up. Oh, dude, that was the best though. Because think about it, like what what really makes you think when we're talking about something that's that that's a Christian deal, right? Like, I'm not talking about the world. Like, if I had my own conference and it was business-related, yeah, I'd be throwing down the same thing. No, you can't go interview this guy. No, these are my people. I'd be doing the same thing. But it's like, dude, this is the church. Like, we're not selling anything like you guys are. We're giving our stuff away for free. And it wasn't like there was a ton back then of, like, influencers and social media people and magazines. We were the influencers. It was us. (laughs) It was us in that space. That is what we did. So it was kind of funny. It was very unusual. I think that we entered that space, like almost like we were journalists, like we had a little film camera and our microphones and we came with all of our gear and slapping it around. When we went to that one conference, (laughs) <laughs> and I'm dropping names, man. You know I hate the sun. You know I hate oh, the sun. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. You're sitting there talking to Brian Borderson and making me stand in the sun, and I'm so ticked because <laughs> you guys are having a little conversation in the shade, and I'm over here burning. I'm like, forget you. I leave, man. And you're like, where are you at? And I'm like, no, I'm not coming back. You can't make me come back. <laughs> we should get people on our podcast now. Like, if we got him then, like I would love because we also talked about Cheshire. We met Cheshire around the same time. Cause then we went to his conference. It was kind of like our conference episode. We went to all these conferences and then we we all just decided, hey, um let, let's do a podcast about all these cool things. But this was the one where we met Rick Warren and we just geeked out for a whole episode on him. Um, but I mean It'd be cool to get some of these. I don't think we could get Rick Warren on here. Um, well, we I don't, tried. We tried I to do. get him in the magazine. We tried to get him on the podcast. He just was like, "I'm not having anything to do with you guys." Yeah, we wanted to. Um, we wanted to have a uh, a picture of him with a tattoo on his arm. Remember, right. we were going to Photoshop planners or something like that. Yeah, and it was like Rick Warren. You don't know how cool he is. he actually is. And that was going to be our theme because we met him that night and we were just blown away by his coolness. Yeah. Um, I think but- I think we should go right into the episode because I got some comments about Rick since that episode. Okay. That I want to talk talk about. Yeah. Well, I mean, shoot. Uh, I'll just set the stage. I'll tell the story again. <laughs> it's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Well, hey, we're going to tell the story on this one, right? This is where we accidentally, Pete and I show up late to the speaker's dinner, and we come in through the back, and then we sit at the back table, not the front table where all the important people are. And I sit down next to this red-haired guy with a beard 
not realizing it's Rick Warren. And I look over to him to say hi. When I say, you know, you see the back of people, I sit down at this round table and I look over and I jumped. Like I literally was startled, like, like an electric shock. And I go, Oh, I'm so sorry. Crap. Or I go, Oh crap. I'm in the wrong seat. I'm sorry. I'll move. And he goes, no brother, you're exactly where you need to be. And man, how prophetic was that? Because I know because I came down and sat in between the two of you guys, not realizing he was literally the guy next to me. <laughs> and you were the guy on the other side of me. You're like, there's like, one of my people. You're like, I'm going to sit right next to him. <laughs> ginger's got to stick together. <laughs> You're like, am I right, brother? You're all fist bumping him, you know. They were besties pretty soon, you know. They were like showing baby pictures. No, I'm teasing. But, you know, it actually it ended up. He ended up being our coolest interview ever. And by well, the way, the, I'm struggling with my throat. Let the speak for itself. We don't need to, to go over what it was when you're going to play the episode. Mm-hmm. So no, I know. So let let's hear let's hear your thoughts because I got thoughts too. So uh, hey guys, we're gonna we're gonna stop here and we're gonna let you listen to uh, the encounter, and then um, we'll see you on the other side. Hey everybody, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones here with another episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Which, before we get started, Peyton, I just got to say how excited I am that the new uh, Church Planner magazine is on the newsstand. Yeah, me too, man. This one is, I mean, the first one was good. This one is gooder. <laughs> and that's a word. Dang it. <laughs> it is. I could win Scrabble with that word. Actually, I just. I, I think, you know, aesthetically, I think it looks sharp. I think um, the articles in it are just insane. Like, I, I told you before we started the podcast, last night I was up, you know, relatively late, late for me. So I don't know what that was, like 1 o'clock, I think, was when I was finally done. And um, and I was just put, putting the finishing touches on the magazine before I uh, uh, basically made it available on the iPad and on the iPhone, which it is now. So go there right now, Church Planner Magazine, and get it on your phone. And um, I would just finished because I had to make like changes. Like there's some things that you just don't see that are wrong until it's actually on the iPad. So like I saw a couple of little things yeah. like, oh, okay, I got to go change those real quick before we announce to everybody. Like we haven't even announced to everybody that it's available. So, I mean, if someone w- logged into the magazine, yeah. they would see it, but. I mean, that's the only way that they would know that it's there. And so I was, um, I was finishing it up, and the the article I was finishing up was on Pastor Saeed. And I just, you know, the whole story for for our one listener. Uh, I don't know if you, Joey. Hey, Joey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It went from Jerry to Joey. Um, and then and then Barry told me this week he's listening, so we have two now because we made Jerry up. But but actually. Joey, he just changed his name to Barry so he would feel better and think that there was more than one person <laughs> listening. Got an extra Twitter handle. <laughs> he got an extra Twitter. There you go. So, um, so I'm 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 finishing up the story on Pastor Saeed. And for those who don't know the story on Pastor Saeed, he's an American Iranian pastor uh, who's born in Iran. He's uh, an American citizen. Um, his wife, uh, was born in America. She's a, obviously American, a citizen, and he's got how many kids does he have? Do you know? Is it two kids? Uh, I thought it was three. three. It could be three. I, you know, here I am talking about this story and I don't even remember how many 
kids the guy's got. But bottom line is he's been church planning in Iran. And we got the opportunity to interview his sister, Zibanda. And um, the reason why we got the opportunity to interview her is because he's in jail in Iran's notorious, uh, I think it's Evan Prison. And just, I mean, he, he's in jail for sharing the gospel. I mean, Iran is a, a Muslim country, even though uh, they acknowledge that they've got, you know, a sect of Christianity in there. They don't tolerate it, obviously, because they've thrown him in, in jail. I mean, he's literally been beaten. Um, it's almost a, a daily occurrence for him. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like putting the final touches here on the magazine. And last night I'm, I'm going to bed and I'm just like personally feeling like, okay, here I am. I'm in America. I'm, I'm sleeping in another room because my wife is sick, but like I've got a big enough house that I can be in a whole nother part of the house. Yeah. And here's this dude who's right now today getting beat. Because he shared the gospel, and I don't know, man. It just it kind of gets to me. And I, it does, and you know, it's it's this whole thing about perspective. You know, here I am. I'm still adopting the baby, and uh, I'm in Minnesota, and I'm walking. I had a similar experience um, where I'm walking around the back uh, courtyard here, and of course, because it's the Ronald McDonald House, it's where all the kids who uh, are are terminally ill or have serious illnesses stay. And, you know, we can think we got problems. And then I'm walking around this courtyard in the back, and there's plaque after plaque after plaque lining the garden, little marble plaques uh, kind of edging the lawn that are all dedicated to kids who lost the battle with a serious illness. And it, it, it just, it's a game changer. It suddenly puts everything into perspective. And I can remember when we were interviewing Zabanda, we were just going from church planner interview to church planner interview. And they were all powerful. I mean, that was the same day we did David Trujillo, uh, South Central L.A., which I believe is in this issue as well. It is, yep. Uh, and then we did, you know, and it, I mean, he was talking about coming out of gangs. And all of these interviews were amazing. But then we hit hers. And it was like, you know, this guy who planted a church from nothing to now a 1,000. 2,000. 2,000. And and their, their increments of 10 to 20 because they have to be underground house churches. Now, all 2,000 people can't ever come together. And I remember you and I looking at each other, walking away, just going, you know, it was, it was almost like we didn't have any words. Yeah. You know, we just kind of were looking at each other kind of stunned when we finished that interview. And the only and, reason why we didn't put it in the first issue is we literally had to put the interview together and give it to her so her and her people could review it. And they had us take out certain parts because things, you know— the dude's still in jail, right? I mean, yeah. and yeah. it's not like the Iranians are, you know, Mr. Happy and, hey, it's not like even American prison, which is bad enough. But, I mean, it's it's a different world over there. Like, she gave us some letters from him for us to put in the magazine. And I'm I'm reading these letters, and they're just, like, heart-wrenching. Yeah. And one of the things that he talks about is, you know, he's in this room where the light is always on. And he goes, I don't know if it's day or if it's night. I have no idea, no concept. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking about what this dude is going through. You know, the story, um, he had internal bleeding and they wouldn't take him to the hospital again because he's a Christian pastor. 
And yet, um, finally, they did take him. But when they took him to the hospital, the doctor wouldn't do anything for him because they're Muslim and he's considered unclean. And I mean, like, this is what this guy is going through all for the sake of Jesus Christ. And he, he clearly says in his letters, I do it again. Yeah. And, you know, it was amazing because at one point I remember talking to Zabanda and she was saying, you know, that he had been tortured and beaten so badly that he had had internal bleeding. And, you know, at one stage we were talking to her and he had been um, critically ill. I mean, yeah, I, I can remember that time where it was touch and go and the latest reports were he's probably not going to last throughout the week. And then suddenly we were talking to her and I, I asked her, I said, you know, um, yeah, he was I, I remember the recent reports being, you know, uh, that, that, you know, he was critically and it was it was difficult talking to his sister about this. You know, you're talking about her brother's life. And she just smiled and said, God healed him. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dang. <laughs> wow. You know, but but again, it goes back to that whole thing that that we always say in uh, Newbury Church planning. And that is that uh, you when you were on the front line, you see the supernatural because that's where you need it. And I think what's great about Church Planner Magazine and the Church Planner Podcast, someone left a comment on one of the reviews of the podcast, and they said, man, I cannot, or the magazine actually, they said, you know, I cannot wait to see where this magazine goes because it's actually a magazine that talks about uh, the, the kind of church planning that, that really is, is what's needed. Like it's not just, hey, guys, how to get a bunch of people come through the doors by, you know, boom, boom, boom. It is really hardcore. Look, are you out for the lost? And are you out for God's glory? It is, uh, you know, frontline stuff. And so we're talking to people on the extremes of the frontline and it just flavors everything. And, and you, you, you can't read this month's issue and come out thinking, yeah, I'm going to prostitute myself for numbers. You, right. you come out the other right. side of this and it, it has a purifying effect on you. It makes you feel like the same thing we always say at our boot camps or jump schools for new breed, when I'm training guys, they're, they're like new recruits. They funnel in and they just want a mega church. That's all they want. They want to be on the radio. They want to be the next John Piper. They want to have books. And we just tell them, guys, if you're in it for that, you're in the wrong stinking game. Because guys like Saeed, man, that's the core of it. How willing, how far are you willing to go to spread the gospel? How, how are you willing to pay with your life? I love the, the, when, when John and James, come to Jesus and they go, hey, can we sit at your right hand in heaven? <laughs> can we be the big shots in heaven and right. in, in the kingdom? And Jesus just looks at him and says, that's not even for me to give. But then he says, "Can he looks at him and says, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Or can you be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? And that's not the baptism of water. He was talking about the wrath of God. Right. completely just engulfing him. That was the baptism. And they go, yeah, we can. <laughs> just very flippantly. And then he, it, I, I, it doesn't say in the scripture, Jesus smiles and winks, but you just get a, <laughs> a sense. <laughs> Jesus looks at him and he goes, yes, in fact, you will. You will. You know, it's kind of like Yoda looking at Luke going, are you afraid? And he goes, you will uh, be. no, you will be. <laughs> It is. It's that passage. I'm telling you. <laughs> now you know what it's like to sit in my church on a Sunday morning and hear my sermons. 
Star Wars, G.I. Joe, He-Man, it all comes in. You've read Church Zero. Well, you know, and that gets us to our main topic at hand because there's there's a couple of different directions that we can kind of go with this. But um, one of the things we, we actually wanted to finish talking about from last week's podcast, there was something else that Michael Cheshire uh, put on his Facebook. Is he paying us, Pete? Uh, he should needs be. to be paying us. Apparently, no, we love we love Mike Cheshire, man. He's a brother from another mother. We're apparently his biggest fans, and I, <laughs> I don't know how that <laughs> happened, right? You've actually talked to him, though. I have it, and I think the guy is just awesome. But um, his no, no. Can I can I actually validate that? I have talked to his assistant. Oh, okay. Cortland, Cortland Coffee. Oh. I have not talked to the man himself yet. So so he's so big that uh I can't touch him. He's got an assistant. Oh well oh, yeah. That changes everything now. No, so um so anyway, one of the things that he put on his Facebook uh a few weeks ago was and this is you know, it's so sad, it's so typical and and remind me because I'll bring up a little bit later a tie-in with Rick Warren that's kind of similar to this. And um but anyway, he stuck up this picture, they'd stuck up their their church is the Journey Church, and they'd stuck up you know posters and stuff around their community, and someone had gone through and tagged them all with the word cult, and, and so he makes the comment, "Hey, we had four new families at our church this Sunday because someone had tagged them with the word cult, and they yeah, wanted they, to had, s- they had put little stickers on every poster he had around town that they had they put it over top of this poster." Cult, and it, what's funny to me is the tagline underneath the Journey Church is um, something like "Perfect people not welcome" or "Perfect people not allowed" or something like yeah. that. It's yeah. just, and and so he goes, "We're gonna ride this sucker, man. We're gonna have T-shirts made up that say cult and everything else because it's <laughs> bringing people in." So you know, I look at that and I I find it absolutely hilarious that you know someone has the foresight to take it and like kind of turn that whole situation on its head and be like, all right, I'll have t-shirts made up, but you know, and and it goes back to what we talked about last week, how people will just, you know, and especially other Christians will rip on you. And I kind of wonder why that is and and what your thoughts on it are. I mean, part of me is because I, I think it's because to them, their faith is so important. But it's it's the way – like they think it has to be done the way that they've always done it or the way that they've yeah. always seen it done. And so I, I do understand, at least I believe, that for some people, they see it as offensive yeah. the way some people practice church, the way some people uh, show the love of God. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I'm just looking at it going, it's got to be partially that, right? It's like it's so personal to them that they're looking at it going, you're doing it wrong and – I think you're misrepresenting yeah. God. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm giving them the yeah. benefit of the doubt, but I think that's what you know it what? is. There, yeah, there are so many different ways that, to, to look at it because you're dealing with people, so you've always got a, a mixed bag of motives. I can remember when I planted uh, Pillar Church out of Starbucks. Remember, we always say that we were the accident-driven church. We, we didn't mean to plant that church, um, but it kind of happened, and um, – I can remember I, I got a letter right away from this council that was in Wales that was an evangelical council, and they, they had all gotten together. Nobody had picked up the phone and called me, but they are like, by whose authority? Literally, I got a letter 
saying, by whose authority do you do these things? And all my mind raced back to was the Pharisees asking Jesus by whose authority he did things. And and I, I, I found it ironic that a whole room full of Christian leaders, none of them thought to ask the question, hey, this is in our Bible. Isn't this what the Pharisees asked Jesus? Not, not making a comparison that I'm Jesus and they were Pharisees, but um, it was just odd because a work of the Holy Spirit was truly going on. And they wanted me to go into the lion's den and stand in the middle of their next meeting and justify why I had done what I had done. And so for me, being typically American and not very British, I picked up the phone and just said, what is this letter? You know, I preached in all of your churches. You all know me. Um, you all have my phone number. Any of you could have called me up. And yes, I will come to the meeting if invited. However, I will not ask your permission because you're not the ones I need to ask permission from. And I never got the invitation. I said, I'll inform, but I won't ask permission. Hmm. And, uh, and, 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 and yet at the same time, there was a good friend of mine down the road, and I had made the mistake as a church planner that is the most common mistake, and that is not to go to the surrounding churches. It, it was the first plant, church plant I had personally planted. And when people ask me, what's your biggest regret when you, when you church planted Pillar? I always say not going to the other ministers beforehand because it all kind of spun out of control. It was out of my hands when it started. Um, it wasn't pre-planned. I didn't go to the surrounding ministers. And so there was some needless hurt and confusion and could have saved myself some heartache had I had, I had a crystal ball. And uh, a good friend of mine, an elderly gentleman, um, got one of my flyers. He was kind of like the neighboring church. And, you know, I had to really humble myself to him because to him, um, exactly what you said, Pete, about he saw my church plant as, because it had this thing, it started off saying church sucks. Um, we all know it's true. That was, that was the opening line. And, and I was targeting people who thought church sucked. People who would never go in my friend's church in a million, billion, trillion years because he had a traditional Reformed Evangelical church, whereas mine was like the church that started out of Starbucks, and we called it the church for people who don't go to church. And that's, in fact, what it was. We actually had a no Christians allowed rule. And so I assured him, I said, look, the people that come to your church will in no way ever come to, to, to my church and vice versa. But I still had to go to him because um, he was actually opposition, one of my best friends uh, during my 12 years in Wales. And I had to go and humble myself to him and, and, and apologize and just reach out my, my hand to him. So, you know, people are never, they, people will oppose your church plant. People will oppose what you're doing. But always as a church planner, be careful to recognize that, that there's going to be different reasons for that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's that passage in Jude where it talks about at the end that there's three types of people. When, when the letter of Jude is written at the end, he says, these guys deal with, with a bit of harshness. These guys deal, uh, you know, to rescue them. And these guys are a little bit in the middle and they need a bit of swaying. And I don't have the exact, but, you know, I think Jude is just like 20 verses. So uh, you can go and read. It's one of the last verses in the book. But but he just, he gives a distinction how to deal with people. So, you know, it gets your back up. It, it gets you defensive. But be careful when you are dealing with, some guys just needed you to give them a phone call and just tell them what you're doing. But in the case of Mike Cheshire, going back to that, um, 
What I thought was genius about that was that, as you pointed out, he wrote it. And of course, you know, Pete, being the the, the son of perdition that you are as a marketer, <laughs> um, you know, talk, talk about it from your perspective because you know you're a marketer. What 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 did that set a light in you? Well, it's kind of funny because you know that I've done similar type of things in the past where <laughs> when I get certain ads uh, banned or rejected that actually becomes my next ad, you know, exposed, yeah. see the ad that so-and-so rejected and wouldn't run. And it's actually a, a marketing ploy, if you will, that people use to, cause then people are like, Oh, well, I want to read this. So like, for instance, I wrote uh, a press release on uh, Obama. This was back when the elections were coming up, Obama and Mitt Romney were running against each other. And the stuff that I do has nothing to do with politics, right? So I'm purely just trying to ride the wave of this is a, a, a political season and people are reading stuff about these guys. And I don't even remember what I was selling because I was sure I was selling something, trying to drive people to a webinar or something. And like they wouldn't run it because they're like, you're speaking negatively about Obama. I'm like, dude, I'm speaking negatively about Obama because – the people who I'm trying to reach don't like Obama. Like I didn't like either one of them. I didn't vote for Mitt Romney or for Obama because <laughs> one, because I'm a Christian. So I don't vote for those guys. <laughs> but, um, and, and so I was like, look, I, this is, this is, and it wasn't like pro Mitt Romney. It was like, I think it had to do with like health insurance or something. And, and I was coming out against it. But anyway, bo bottom line is it doesn't really matter what it was about. They wouldn't run my press release. This is a major PR service. They wouldn't run it. So much. It's amazing. Yeah, really. It's not because <laughs> they, anyway, that's, that, that yeah, actually happens anyways. quite a bit. Um, so I immediately took that and took their response and I ran it on my website and I did an email out to my whole database and I'd never had more people hit my website than I did then. <laughs> Cause I was like, I think the subject line was something like read the press release that so-and-so banned and wouldn't run and, and everyone like wanted to go read it. And I'm like, okay, this yeah. is better because it didn't cost me anything. Well, and you know, I got to use well, think, this. Think of it this way. Think of it this way, right? Because there's a bit of that in the Bible. Absolutely. Like Jesus doing stuff, having arguments with the Pharisees, um, that, that kind of, he was banned, wasn't he? I mean, John the Baptist, you know, guy ends up getting, uh, beheaded and, the Pharisees come, he's, he's not, you know, he's kind of riding that, that wave of popularity. You know, they, they say, oh, all the world's gone after him is, is what the Pharisees say. Um, there was definitely something going on, but it wasn't, it was like Jesus said later, he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? He says, did you go out to see some guy uh, dressed in fancy clothes? Did you go out to see some posh dude, you know, drinking tea? He goes, no, you went out to see a prophet. You went out there because this dude was making people mad. That's, that's what Jesus yep. says. And and what's awesome is, you know, the Pharisees turn up. If he was going to ever kiss butt, he'd be like, hey, the Sanhedrin's here. Woohoo, way to go, John. Now you're really going to get somewhere. You know, this is like the talent scouts, man. And he just goes, you brood of vipers. Why are you here? You know, surely you're not going to get down in this in this river and cleanse off your sins. You know, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. He just starts yelling at them, you know, and, and, you know, that was scandalous. You know, he, he's obviously the guy who was banned. Jesus was a guy who was banned. And I, I think that there's that kind of, 
element of, you know, sometimes they say in the business world, you got to stand out now, you know, and, and, and I, I'm passionate about this, Pete. Um, I, I feel the church right now, social media is great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a grandpa. My day we eat bark off the tree, you know. Um, but, but what I'm saying is, um, we're losing this, this whole social media is creating this thing where we just want to be liked and we're mm. becoming social media whores. Um, we're becoming truth prostitutes. We're giving everything away. Just going here, you know, just like me, please just like me. Um, hey, you know, we don't believe this about the Bible anymore. Hey, you know what? We'll, we'll give you this truth. We'll give it away. Just like us, please, because we want to be popular. And when the church becomes that way, it loses its power. The power of the gospel is the fact that it, we, you can't gum people into the into the kingdom. The gospel has teeth. It's got a bite. John the Baptist had a bite. And people flocked to him because they were like, hey, man, there's something different here. There's something radical. There's something subversive. And I think that's kind of what Michael Cheshire is jumping on the back of. I think he's on to something. You know, what's interesting, one of the things that you mentioned about social media, and I, I just want to bring this up again from a marketing standpoint, because I don't think a lot of pastors realize this. I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine, a guy by the name of Martin Howie. He's um, just a phenomenal business coach. And uh, I think he's like 68 years old, uh, 69, something like that, right in that range. And it has just been diagnosed with cancer again. Um, so he's you know constantly fighting that stuff off. And he, he's just got... It, he doesn't need to like make any money, right? He's just, I, I can't even believe the guy is a friend to me. He's just that high a caliber dude, right? So I'm talking to him this one day and I said, you know, it's really interesting. I was talking to him about Church Planner Magazine. I go, it's really interesting with social media with pastors because all pastors seem to be on Twitter. And I go, this is like the first time you can point to a group. And like they're all on social media. And I, I honestly believe it's because <clears throat> someone has told all the pastors for you to be relevant, you've got to be on Facebook, you gotta be on Twitter, you gotta be on <laughs> Pinterest, you got because the rest of the world, I don't care that it's all in the news, they don't use it the way everyone says that they use it. Every study yes. that's ever been done shows that hardly anyone tweets, that hardly anyone reads that stuff. Except apparently for pastors, <laughs> I was joking with them. Right. I go, this is like the one time I actually have to get on Twitter to get in front of because our market, our church planners, are pastors, and t- for me to communicate with them, I actually have to get on Twitter. But like for them to actually reach the audiences that they're trying to reach, I'm sorry, but they're not on Twitter. You know, it's funny, and and this might take us slightly off course from where we're going. We'll come back to it, but. The, the thing is, you and I have talked about this because we're, we're often trying to get pastors to, um, listen to what we're talking about or, you know, this and that. And of course, I wrote a book, Church Zero. It's highly, highly provocative. Ding! Sorry. <laughs> Chiching. If we had that sound effect, we could do that. But, but it's highly provocative. It is not going to win friends and influence people. And I knew that. When I wrote it, God just said, do you want to be liked or used? And I was like, both, Lord, because it's been so long <laughs> since I've had both. And, you know, God was like, no, you got to choose. But the uh, the bottom line 
was that you and I have talked about this, and I've, it, you know, when you and I started talking, you're like, you know, how do we get a hold of these guys? And and I told you, look, you it, with pastors, they're a funny animal because they are used to getting in front of crowds, and so they want to be heard. They're messengers, but always with a messenger, whether you're a stand-up comedian or a rock musician or whatever, if you've got something to promote to an audience of listeners. There's always two things at work. Well, there's always one thing at work. Number one is ego. Right. How do you get a pastor to get in his car and drive one or two hours away and speak to a bunch of people that aren't going to pay him? Two things. Number one, his ego. He wants to be known. And, and right away, people go, oh, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not true. He wants to preach. No, I'm sorry. We're flawed human beings. And ego is always there. It's the shadow that's always on the dark side. Okay? We've all got it. It's always there. It's cool if you don't want to be honest about it, but it's there. Right. Uh, I've been in ministry long enough to just be honest and go, okay, my ego's there. The other side of the coin is impact. That's the part that they want to say, well, that, that's what we're, okay, now we're going to talk about that. The, the part that you're saying. But it's not alone. It's never alone. There's always ego and there's always impact. Impact is the part of me that says, I'm going to do this self-sacrificially because I want to impact people for the kingdom. And I will sacrifice my gas tank. I will sacrifice my finances. I will sacrifice my time to go and drive and speak to a bunch of 10-year-olds about the gospel two hours away because I have a desire to impact. And sometimes what happens is the ego on that scale, that balance between the two, the ego's up. And the desire to impact is down. And when that happens, you're in trouble. But always, even George Whitfield and all great preachers talk, even Spurgeon talked about, George Whitfield said that success almost killed him more than failure. Hmm. Because when he started off as a young man, um, he was in his early 20s, he's preaching the gospel and he becomes a national, in fact, an international figure. And his desire to impact won, but his ego, sometimes he felt he got the balance wrong. Wesley, uh, you know, all these guys uh, have dealt with that. What the church isn't good about right now is it's not good about recognizing the danger that's inherent in social media, um, that, that right now it's all about self-promotion. We've got to be careful. Um, if we're not going to be honest about this dark side, then we're not going to be able to embrace the force. You know, it's Luminous funny. beings, are we? That, that's one of the things <laughs> that always um, I'm very careful about. And I it, believe me, I, what I'm about to say, I, I'm not saying that I see something right or wrong. It's just one of those things that I always notice. It's when someone names their ministry after themselves that I'm always yeah. like, you know, I get why you're doing it. And believe me, from a marketing standpoint, look, I am. I named my company Pete Mitchell Inc., right? I mean <laughs> – the whole point is to promote me and everything I do is to promote Pete Mitchell. I mean, in yeah. the business side of things and the business world. Sure. But when it comes to the, the ministry stuff, it's just one of those things where I'm always very uncomfortable about it. And I'm not saying that people are doing it wrong. I mean, I think it's called Billy Graham's, you know, whatever. I, I mean, he's named his ministry after himself, right? Sure. Sure. So, I mean, I'm not saying that I think it's, wrong in and of itself, but it is one of those things that just kind of, you know, gets me or when you see a televangelist on TV and the name or the website down on the corner is, you know, 
I, I don't want to use someone's name, but you can imagine a really big pastor, say from Texas, who's got their name plastered all over the TV when they preach. <laughs> not gonna, not gonna say it, but um, but it just kind of, you know, I look at that, and I'm like, who are you really trying to promote? You know, I mean, is that really what the deal is here? Is it's all about you and your books and and one of the things that just it's all about Church Zero, baby. Yeah. Well, Cha-ching. no, just joking. But at least you didn't name it Peyton Jones. But no, I'm just kidding. The Peyton Jones book. <clears throat> but like, take for instance, um, the Masters College for a name for a university. You, you call them MacArthurites, right? Because it's John MacArthur's right. sure. college. I think he named that thing brilliantly. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you literally think about the, the name of that college, I mean, what is he saying? This isn't our school. This is God's school. We're going to use this to train up the next generation. That's where my sister, you know, went to school. And then you look at other universities. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong, you know, to to call it by your name or whatever, but it does, you know, I look at it and I'm like, really, what are you trying to promote here? So I I understand what you're saying with, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. We've got to be careful. You know, Gideon, I, I, I don't remember if we talked about it on this, uh, broadcast or not, but you know, Gideon, uh, he rises up as one of the judges of Israel against the Midianites, and he be- his nickname becomes Baal Slayer. Well, you know, that sounds like something out of freaking Halo, man. Slayer, you know, he's like on a killing spree, and he gets this moniker. Hey, man, here comes Baal Slayer. I mean, how boss is out of a name? That's how he became known. He became a legend in his own time. I think many people don't deal well with that, and what actually happens is Gideon, after some of the battles, takes all the gold from the plunder, and he makes an ephod, which is kind of like a breastplate. And it's a symbol of his prowess on the field of battle. And he sets it up as a place to um, come and pay tribute, pay homage to. And it ends up becoming an idol that people worship. Hmm. And I've always thought about that, that you know, you'll see guys, sometimes they start off in their ministry and what happens is they do, they become a legend in their own time. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it's funny because I, 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 I sense this with you, Pete, and, and, and I'm glad that the conversation's turning uh, and it has the tone it has because I'm not above that. You know, you're not above, none of us, oh, no. I haven't had to deal with that. I'm a small fry. Nobody knows who in the heck I am. And, and, and that's kind of cool because I don't want to deal with the trials that these guys have. I can't judge these other guys because who's to say that I don't, you know, make a golden ephod, you know, the Peyton Jones golden ephod and bow down to it. It is a temptation because like we said, the ego and the impact are always there. And so when the ego, because it's there, it's in me just like anyone else. And, you know, like you said, I don't think Billy Graham, it ever became about Billy Graham, but um, and, and that's good to know. So we're not saying as a rule, if it, you know, if you got that name, but it does raise a question and, you know, and I think all of us have to be careful, but there is a disturbing trend in ministry right now. And, and I just think, especially for our younger guys, you know, it's kind of like they're coming into ministry in this atmosphere and they could right away be building on a cracked foundation by thinking this is normal, you right. know, that, self-promotion is the way to really be used by God. And we have to be careful because, you know, it's kind of like this, you know, like I read an article this morning on CNN about, you know, uh, Rachel Held Evans wrote this thing about the millennials. She kicks it off by saying, um, you know, 
I don't, I've never navigated in my life without using MapQuest. And I just thought, man, you know, that is insane. Cause I remember having the, the Tom, uh, the Thomas guide in the backseat. What is, what is <laughs> that? Ever, What's the Thomas? I was just going to say, just nobody kidding, even dude. knows what the Thomas guide is. It, it was like for Orange County, LA County, San Diego County, you would have to buy this big tome that would go under your seat. In your car, so when you got lost, you could look up the street name alphabetically, and you could map out your journey. You had to physically do that before the internet. And and what I'm saying is, it's kind of like how Rachel Held Evans said, you know, gosh, I've never known, you know, what she was saying is, I've never used a map. And so, speaking to this generation of church planners coming up, what what I'm trying to say to you guys is this: that be careful because you're. We want you to know the map. We want you to know the foundation, the biblical principles of ministry. John the Baptist, who we started off talking about earlier, who said, hey, man, I must decrease that he may increase. And sometimes we get into that kind of quandary where the Lord goes, who are we going to promote today? You see, the Holy Spirit wants to do one thing. Jesus said in John 17, when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. Mm. Nobody else. God says, I'll share my glory with no one. If you want power, you must decrease. You must boast in your weaknesses that the excellency of the power may be seen to be of God and not of men. Paul says, therefore, I will boast in my weakness that the power of Christ might rest upon me. We can be popular by promoting ourselves, but we cannot be powerful by promoting ourselves. And that that's these are just basic ministry principles that I think are getting lost right now to this younger generation. Power comes through weakness. Decrease that he might increase. I love the way Alistair Begg said about John the Baptist, that John the Baptist proclaimed the way, he pointed the way, and he got out of the way. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Got on my rant there, Pete. Yeah, Sorry. no, no, that's fine. I liked it. I liked it. In fact, um, I was rocking in my proverbial rocking chair, you know, spitting spittoons. I was like my old man, you know. There's a storm a brewing. <laughs> that was my old timer talk. <laughs> well, it it reminds me of the the story that I wanted to talk about from uh, Rick Warren. So I'm following Rick Warren on Facebook. Apparently, I, I must have signed up for that, and. Uh, there were there were a couple of posts this last week that I thought were kind of really uh, interesting to say the least. Um, obviously, his, his son uh, committed suicide. At this point, it was I don't know three months ago, four months ago. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was his first Sunday back uh, at, at the pulpit there at Saddleback, and so you know huge crowds came out. People wanted to hear him. So he he put a post on Facebook along the lines of we had 12 leaders from the Jewish community and 16 Muslim leaders at church on Sunday. And that was like basically the extent of it. And so I was like, oh, this will be fun to see this to read the comments. Right. Because I'm looking at this going, this is a lightning rod comment. What are people going to say to this? Sure, sure. And so I obviously I didn't want to read them all because he's got, you know, I, I don't know how many thousands of followers, but it just means that there's more comments than y- you could literally waste your life just reading what other people wrote <laughs> about something that, you know, a, a 40, 140 characters. No, I on. get you, man. 
On I, I read the comments. I, you know, I find on certain articles, the comments are way better than the articles. And that's from a marketing standpoint, that's actually what they're going for because yeah. just so people understand how the whole economy has changed when it comes to news, newspapers are dying if they're not already dead in your area and how they make money is page views. So the more controversial they can be, and sometimes that does mean misleading, uh, yeah. they get to make money because every time that page refreshes, the advertisements show, and they're charging the advertisers every time their ad shows. So they love it when there's comments, and they love it when there's lightning rod things. But I, what I thought was interesting is you had exactly both sides, just kind of what I thought you'd have. You had some who were like profane, literally profane. And, you know, how can you how can you be okay with this? You know, having Muslim leaders and, you know, Jewish are kind of like, eh, you know, they're not as bad as Muslim. But, you know, here in America, <laughs> Muslims like, you know, that's that's the worst. And and then you had on the other side this. I still remember this one comment. This lady was apparently referencing someone else's comment. And she's like, have you missed the whole point of what Jesus said? He's all inclusive. It doesn't matter how you get to God. It just, and I'm like, you know, reading this going, okay, I think you missed exactly what Jesus said. Yeah. But. And no I, one comes to the Father but by me. Right, exactly. You know, let's just forget yeah. about that part of the Bible. You know? not, not a very inclusive comment. <laughs> no, not at all. But, you know, I find it interesting because I understand why Rick Warren put that on there. I understand that Rick is like, look, <clears throat> I'm not changing who I am. I'm not watering down the gospel. I'm not in any way going to compromise. And I am in every way going to reach out to everyone who is not saved yeah. anywhere all the time. Let me, let me just say this, because here's the deal. Rick, Rick, I got huge respect for Rick. Here's the deal. This is what he's doing. And I, I remember when it came out in the Orange County Register, um, a lot of the best news about Rick comes out in Orange County because uh, he's got a great relationship with, um, because of all the social stuff that he does for the community, um, they, they're frequently watching him and writing up on him. So I get a lot of my news, news from the Orange County Register about Ray. I don't get it from the Christian community. I get it from the secular community. And they interviewed him on this and he was very thorough and he made the point. He said, what I'm doing isn't going towards a universalistic gospel. What I'm doing is I'm actually evangelizing Muslims. He says, the church is bad at this. And he said, that's what I'm doing. And in order to do that, I have to talk to them. Why am I having them in my church? Well, if you can think of a better way to get Muslims to church, let me know. And, you know, I just dig on it. Because that dude, there's a couple things about Rick. He never defends himself. Um, he, he said that when he defends himself, he feels the Spirit of God depart from him. Hmm. You, know, you know, it goes back to what we're saying, doesn't it? Um, I'm not out here to promote me. And Rick definitely, that guy never promotes himself. So people stand back and go, Muslims in the service? What? What? You know, the reality is what the guy's doing is he's getting Muslims to come to church so they can hear the gospel. And, you know, that's a whole nother. We're going to do a feature issue on Rick because one of the things when you get to know that dude um, in, in, in his passion for planning and his philosophy of ministry you kind of start seeing for a guy who doesn't promote himself but gets talked smack about all the time, you start realizing, hold on, this dude is actually doing more for the he, – he's usually on the right side of things. Right. So if you want to talk – you know, how does Rick Warren reach gay people? 
He pours millions of dollars into AIDS research, and he earns the right to share the gospel with them. And he does it. He doesn't just go to them and go, hey, you know, I'm going to support a conservative view of family marriage and go out and placard, you know, around homosexual areas, you know, vote no on Prop 8. Um, You know, he, he doesn't do it that way. He does it the way that if I had a couple million bombs to drop, that's what I'd do. I drop money on it and go boom. Now I'm going to talk to you. You know that's funny you, because I, I actually just started an HIV research center, so you can go ahead and drop it right on me. I'll take that money and I'll do <laughs> I the said, if I have it, I'm a poor church planner. I'm got money for nothing, man. <laughs> that's why this podcast is free, and we do it on the free Google Hangout. Please buy churchzero.com. Please buy my book. <laughs> my kids so, are starving. So your publisher can make all the money and my you get your. My family's so skinny. You get your 50 cents or whatever you get. Hey, no, that actually does remind me of uh, something we talked about after we finished last week's podcast. And I shared this story with you. And I'm going to totally butcher the story. So I, I hope people just get the point. But I remember in one of the, the uh, C.S. Lewis Narnia movies, I, it was the second or the third one. I don't remember which one it was, but, um, you know, Aslan is a Christ-like character uh, in the movie series, in the book series. And there's a scene where um, the youngest little girl, she's in the forest and she's pretty sure, I mean, you know, we see Aslan. She sees Aslan, the lion. And he takes off and she's like, Wants to go follow him, but then, you know, her older brother is there, and I think her older sister and, and maybe even the other brother is there. And they're like, Aslan's not there. You didn't see him. You know, come with us. And later in the movie, uh, when she, they do meet up with Aslan, she's like, Aslan, I thought I saw you in the forest. And he goes, well, then why didn't you come to me? Well, because they told me that I didn't see you. And he goes, but you did see me. So why didn't you follow me? And I just, I mean, the point to me in that it, it, when it comes to following Christ, and it's kind of touched about a lot in uh, this month's issue of Church Planner Magazine, available now on the newsstand, is, um, <laughs> cha-ching. Yeah, cha-ching, <laughs> is if God has called you to something, if he's called you to plant your church and do the church a certain way, and everyone else in it, you know, in her case, it was her older brother who, you know, in, in this context, let's say it's, it's, it's someone else, a, a brother or sister in Christ. And they're saying, yeah, but I don't think this is the way, you know, we should be doing it. We should be doing it this way over here. The way I look at that is, yeah, but I'm not following you. And if God has called me to this, then I need to follow what God has called me to. And this is one of the areas that for me is really, a difficult thing to to get through. And, and what I mean by that is I put together this video for um, – I've got a publishing company as well. And so I published a, a book for Apologetics.com. It's actually, I think, one of the best books, especially for the unchurched. It's called Think and Live, Challenging Believers to Think and Thinkers to Believe. And it's really a, a 101 type of level book for apologetics. So this is not for the guy who's been studying apologetics his whole life. This is for the unchurched person who's like, well, how do we know the Bible's legit? How do we know the story of Jesus is legit? And so I put together a video for this. And you know this story, Peyton, because I've shared it with you. But um, the, there's this, this section in the video where it talks about 
people were looking at Jesus as, you know, a performer, as a, a magician, you know, do us this trick, God, man. That's the actual line. Show us a trick, God, man, you know, do something for us. And so the, the visual that's on the screen is, you know, there's a, a guy with long hair and a robe, obviously playing the role of Jesus, <laughs> uh, but he's got sunglasses on. He's got, you know, all his bling on and he's holding this chalice, right? And the chalice says pimp on it. Now, when I showed the video to my dad, I'm like, hey, dad, you know, you, you know, I've shared my dad's a pastor and he's got an email newsletter that goes out to all of his people. And I'm like, hey, you know, would you share this video with him? It's on YouTube. And he's like, wow, it's a great video. And then, you know, maybe a half hour later, I get a, an email back from him. He goes, that scene with Jesus, does that chalice say pimp on it? And I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he was like deeply offended that it said pimp. And I'm like, well, you don't understand. Like in, in my generation's vernacular, the word pimp does not mean what it yeah. used to mean to you. I yeah. mean, it still does mean, you know, someone who has hookers and whores. Yeah, sure. But it, you know, we've got TV shows, pimp my ride, yeah. you know, yeah. you got to pimp this out. And it, it doesn't mean the same thing. Well, he was so deeply offended by this. Sure. That he wouldn't share it with anybody. And because I wouldn't change it. Because I'm like, you know what, I'll. And I had to promise your dad, I'll talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you didn't side with him. He may not like you anymore. I don't know. But, but it like but really it, it, bothered me to the point sure. that I was going to do a whole series of videos and I was like, I don't even want to do the rest. And sure. I let it affect me like that. But, and, and I'm not saying you should make a video with, pimp on it jesus chalice uh, that's not what i'm trying to get at here but my point is is like we can be so easily influenced by other believers other people's opinions well who we respect and maybe they deserve yeah. our respect yeah but yet if we're truly following jesus there's a, a point at which we've got to say you know what i appreciate your point of view and i understand where you're coming from but i really feel this is what god wants me to do and this is why we're doing it this way and if you don't understand that, you don't understand has, that. Yeah. A church planner has to have that. You know, um, Paul wrote that. Uh, first off, Jesus said, um, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Um, number one, it, it shows that you're not doing it. If, it. You have to have a rebel streak to be prophetic. You have, it, it goes back full circle to, to where Michael Cheshire was. You have to have a little bit of a punk in you. Um, people, people were always like, why do you got punk at the end of your Twitter handle? Well, number one, because Peyton Jones was taken. <laughs> <laughs> there are other people named Peyton Jones out there tweeting. And uh, the, the other reason is because, you know, one of them is, hey, any punk can do what I do. It's just, you know, a punk in the Holy Spirit. That's all you need to plan a church. But number number three you know, part of me is a punk, you know, I, 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 it's just an attitude. It's, it's a, the, the sense of, Hey, I'm not here to support the system. I am here to please God. An old illustration, kind of like Paul said, you know, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will take bullets in the back. You will suffer friendly fire. Paul got it. Um, Jesus got it. It, 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 you're going to get it. And so, uh, I remember hearing this illustration of a famous violinist and he was performing in a concert hall 
And people at the end of it were standing on their feet, shouting Bravo Encore, clapping. People were weeping. He was such a gifted violinist. And he was absolutely unmoved. In fact, there was this sense on his face of, you know, almost like a, a sadness. Um, and when uh, they asked him why, uh, we saw you looking up in the balcony. And, and while everyone was cheering, you, 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 you seem unmoved. What, what was going on? What was going through your mind? And he said, sitting up in that balcony, one of the box seats was my mentor, who I consider the greatest violinist that's ever lived, the one who trained me and mentored me. And he said, all I cared about that night was that he would stand up and that he would shout out and he would weep and he would, you know, be lifted up into euphoria and and clap with pride and say, encore, encore. And he said he was the only person that would make me feel successful in that room. Hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like when Jesus says, one day you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, we're looking up to that balcony, aren't we? We're looking up. That's what a church planner has to do. You have to at some point, if you're going to lead the orchestra, you have to be willing to turn your back on the crowd. You just have to. If you're going to make music for the kingdom of God, and a church planner has that because he's going to get that opposition. I love the fact that Mike Cheshire, he knows. He knows the secret formula that John the Baptist knew, that Jesus knew, that Paul knew. And that is go in there and start a stinking riot. (laughs) You know, woe to you if all men uh, speak well of you. Um, You know, Paul, Paul knew what that was to just want. And now... You know, as he's dying, he's in chains, he just says, and now, you know, my, the time of my departure is at hand, but I know him whom I believed. He's able to guard what I've entrusted to him, which was his very life until that day. Paul's yeah. like, I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I accomplish this. I finished my race to testify of the grace of God. And there was only one person that Paul wanted to please. And I, it's, it's, been, it's been a pleasant turn this uh, whole podcast, because what we're doing, I mean, we haven't started up that series yet where um, I'm waiting to get back from from adopting this baby. Uh, but, you know, we've talked about we want to walk uh, church planners by the hand. We want to grab their hand and walk them through all of the steps in future podcasts. We want to start a series. But right now, it's like over the last few weeks, we're laying down these basic principles of church plan. I don't think Pete you and I actually thought the conversation, we had something else on our agenda today. And it's just kind of naturally given itself this way. And I really think it, like we said last week, I think it's just a spirit. I think this is what he wants us to talk about. Well, you know, I, I'm going to throw in one little comment here. I know we're just about ready to wrap it up. But this is something that I really had to kind of get my head around. It's when I look at Missionaries, when I look at church planners, you take Pastor Saeed, or uh, really what would made me really start thinking about this. I don't remember who it was, but there's some pastor in like China or something, right? Been a missionary over there and um, ended up getting like brain cancer. Hmm. And so the thought that just, you know, obviously just comes flooding into my head. I'm like, God, how could you let that happen to someone who's given so much for you? And then you let them get brain cancer. Like, why would you do that? Why would you let that happen to this person? 
And, you know, I mean, how many stories can we look at of people who have given so much to Christ and then, you know, something physically has happened to them? Uh, what, what's the condition that Billy Graham has? Do you remember what it is? I don't remember. What Parkinson's. It, yeah, Parkinson's. You know, and you're just like, God, why would you let this happen? And it, it really took some time for me to get my head around the concept, or you know, and bring that back to Saeed, right? You know, here's a guy who's fired up for Christ. He's over in Iran uh, starting an orphanage, and that's when he got arrested. And that, at the same time, he's also leading house churches and things like that. Um, he's been beaten for the Lord. He's uh, l- literally in one of the worst hell holes on earth is that prison. And to mm. top it all off, he's an American. I mean, granted, he's an Iranian American, but he's still an American, right? So they're going to look at him and be like, okay, you know, you became an American. We don't like you. And he's a yeah. Christian. And there's gangs in this prison, just like there is in, in American prisons, and they're beating him. He's not welcomed by anyone. Yet in this place, he's led 30 people to Christ, right? I was just going to say that. And, yeah. And I look at this, and it, it took me a while to finally realize you know what though? These are things that these guys are are happy to endure for yes. Christ. Yes. And they're thinking and to themselves, if God can be glorified in the fact that I got brain cancer, if God can be glorified in the fact that I'm in a jail in the middle of Iran and you know, I may not live he's got an eight year sentence and no one expects him to live that long. I mean, is really yeah. what it comes down to. You know, they're happy to do it. For for Jesus Christ, yeah. and, and I, I mean, to me, it, it took me a while to like get my my head around that concept. And you know, I had to have this conversation with God. I'm like, okay, God, I'm I'm starting to get it. So, you know, if if something like this is going to happen to me, Lord, all right. If it's going to bring glory to you, I'm okay with that. You know, yeah. and I say that in in my reasonably good health, right? Sure, <laughs> everything sure. changes. Every everybody you're... has a breaking point. Right. Everybody has a breaking point. You know, when we talk about like persecution and stuff, I always picture being like, you know, um, in in a room and someone, you know, forgive me, this isn't going to be very PG, but someone's sticking my my scrotum on a table and taking a hammer oh. out and. That would be my breaking point, you know, but, but I don't think I could make it that far. I I think that's that's the point at which I'd start crying. If I hadn't cried already, I'd start crying, um, like a little girl. But, you know, the, the reality is when you're looking at all of these stories, all these things, it comes back to that again. Who are you doing this for? Who are you doing this for? The Apostle Paul, this is why church planners, you have to have this mindset. It ain't about you. It's not for you. Your church plan is not to build, quote unquote, your ministry. It's not about your ministry. It's not about your tape library or your sermon catalog or how big you get on Twitter. It ain't about you. Paul said that some people see ministry as a means of financial gain. He said some preach Christ out of selfish ambition. And he goes on to say, but hey, praise the Lord, nonetheless, even though that motive is wrong, still Christ is being preached. God will still use the gospel, even if it's coming out of the mouth of a selfishly ambitious person. I've been that dude. We all are going to be that dude. We got that dude inside of each one of us. But listen to Paul exactly what uh, you're saying about Pastor Saeed. The Apostle Paul says this. He's writing to the Philippians. And he says, brothers, I want you to know that what 
was a hindrance to me, and he's talking about his chains, has actually served out as a furtherance for the gospel to the extent that now the gospel has gone throughout the Praetorian Guard. In other words, Paul is saying, hindrance to me equals furtherance of the gospel. Mm. And I think, you know, we're getting it wrong. We're thinking, hey, furtherance of me equals furtherance of the gospel. Paul came to the understanding, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I must decrease that he may increase. And hindrances to me equal furtherances to the gospel. Young generation, <laughs> let Grandpa talk to you for a minute. No, but, but I'm starting to preach. I got to stop. Must stop preaching. But Paul is saying, just like Saeed, it ain't about me. Hinder me all you want. At one point he goes on to say, and therefore I am in chains, but the word of God is not chained. The word of God is being set free in that prison with Pastor Saeed to the point where Pastor Saeed's father, when he's going in, they're allowing him to go in and visit. Some people are going, how do you know all this stuff about? Because they're allowing his father to visit. And that's how he gets the letters out, by the way. He he has to verbally speak them to his family and they write them down. Yeah. And as his father comes out, sometimes his father is in the waiting room waiting to go in and talk to him. And other family members are coming in, not just the inmates, but the inmates are getting saved. The inmates are sharing the gospel with their family members. Their family members on the outside of prison are getting saved. And they're coming up to Saeed's father breaking down in tears in the waiting room of the prison where this guy is being persecuted and telling him secretly, we have become Christians Yeah. as a result of your son being here, our whole family. So we never know what God's going to do. And I think like Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. And you know, one of the, I can't remember who it was that said it um, in, in ancient church history, Early church history, the um, some of the I think it was the some of the uh, I don't know if it was anti Nicene or post Nicene fathers. One of them made the statement that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, because when you kill Christians and it stops being about them, there's power mm. and the gospel spreads. Mm. We, we need we need a we need a sound effect to come back. Like oh, do we totally like do? Bill oh. and Ted like. Like coming back, like through the portal or something, you know. Whoa! I mean, just, just Keanu Reeves. Whoa, dude, that was most excellent. <laughs> I was thinking Matrix. You were thinking Bill and Ted's. Oh yeah, no, I was thinking Bill and Ted's all the way, dude. Our album covers totally lied to us. Hey, Devil Dude, get his attention. Wow, you really yeah. know those movies. Oh my gosh, dude, I have the second one memorized. I'm I'm not even joking. So anyway, let's let's okay. Here here's my comments that I want to bring up about Rick Warren post when that was because I don't remember when that happened, but was that near the beginning of our podcast? It was. So that was like ten years ago. Yeah, man. So I've been amazed at how many haters Rick Warren has in the church. <laughs> like it's just a, amazing to me, and most of them. That I've met, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I shouldn't say most of them. I, I should say the ones that I've met. I think that's a fair statement. Uh, or the people that I know who are Rick Warren haters. I'm like, you've literally never met the guy. You've never met him. You're totally going off of your, I don't know, your impressions, whatever. Like one guy who I totally respect 
We even had him as a guest on this podcast. And I know that he's helped some of our guys who are overseas, who are dealing with uh, witchcraft and other types of, uh, of demonic stuff. And he doesn't like Rick Warren. And I believe he doesn't like Rick Warren because he doesn't like the idea of megachurches. And I'm like, okay, you know, but why do you not like the dude, you know, because you don't like megachurches? And then there's another guy who you and I both know really well. And I'd say we both respect him a lot, but he really doesn't like Rick Warren because of uh, the stance Rick Warren has taken on women in ministry. And he's like, he needs to be booted out of ministry. And I'm like, dude, that guy has literally done more to bring the lost to Christ than probably anybody else on the planet right now. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so he doesn't see things the way you see things. And I go, and I remember I even brought this up to him. I go, and that's the very issue that you and I differ on. (laughs) I'm like, are you saying that I should be like, you know, out excommunicated from the church because I don't agree with you on your position? Like it's weird, isn't it? It's 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 normally the teachers that do this. You know, if we go back to APES for a second, normally the teachers are the ones that want to cancel everybody. You know, they're like, oh, that's interesting because I could say the the second guy is a teacher, the first guy is a prophet. Interesting. Yeah. So so it's typically the teachers. It's why you have um, MacArthur um, kind of. You know, where he's hating on everybody and always criticizing everyone, Chuck Smith, you know, Rick Warren, like he's always talking about because truth has been exalted above every other virtue. Each one of the APES, and I don't know if I've talked about it on this iteration of the podcast, has a legalistic extreme. So when you get to the prophets, eventually it's it's not just anymore about trusting God and you know it's then becomes the faith movement well you're sick because you didn't have enough faith so it goes to an extreme that is a legalistic distortion of Christ's ministry and people haven't learned to recognize that the the way it keeps from getting distorted is it's held in balance by the other four same with the teacher you get a MacArthur when you know it's just a movement of teachers and they exalt truth. That's how the Pharisees got. That's why they could justify killing um, in in the name of God, because truth was the distorted virtue at its extreme that justified any any kind of behavior. You know, uh, Muslims do that as well. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. And so with with the evangelists, I mean, Rick Warren is clearly an evangelist. That's what he is, right? Purpose driven life. Um, purpose-driven church is an evangelist manifesto of how to grow a church large, um, which is what evangelists do. Church growth movement was a result of evangelists being left to themselves, um, and it got unbalanced. And eventually, the um, the legalistic distortion of the evangelist is kind of what Mark Driscoll had happened, and I am dropping names here, and I apologize to those of you that are listening. You might be like, "Well, I like that guy," and I'm not saying don't like that guy. I'm just saying I'm I'm using examples of people that that maybe could have um, really used the balance of the other four apes. This is this is my constant message, so it's hard for me to say it without giving you real life examples of what I would consider abuses of you know the apes. 
Um, and including, um, you know, going back to the Mark Driscoll thing, he had a lot of great things evangelistically that he was doing. We brought this up, even the, the service he did to church planning, um, can't be ignored. The, the podcast that came up about him, uh, which I have mixed feelings about because I don't think you should take, uh, 15 episodes or more and just kick the same guy over and over and over and over on a show. But I felt there were some helpful things to point out. I just had a different interpretation listening to that podcast. For me, listening to that podcast, I was like, well, that he's an evangelist. That's when an evangelist. What was the left. podcast called again? Um, What's wrong with Mars Hill or something like that? I think or the what? first episode, yeah, was something like, what's wrong? Yeah, I, I can't remember, actually. Yeah, that's either. pretty bad, right? Everybody just calls it the Mark Driscoll podcast, you know. Um, not to be confused with the Mark Driscoll teaching podcast, but um, but it was a it was like an expose of Mars Hill, um, and I actually to this day still feel it very um, interesting that he never responded to it. I actually was like, well, say what you will about him, but he actually just let that go, which is another philosophy that um, Rick Warren had. Yeah, Warren's sure. philosophy is, you know, and he told us when we sat next to him that night, he said, I could either defend myself or let God defend me. Evangelists get a lot of criticism on my team leadership podcast, so the whipping boy. But, um, but Pete, you, you know, I don't want to go too far off base. I just want to comment on that briefly because I do think Mark Driscoll was the evan- the evangelist extreme. Um, you know, it's what happens eventually is that legalism becomes hey, we're here to reach lost people. And I've been guilty of this myself. We're here to reach lost people. Everybody else, you're in the way, right? Like that becomes that philosophy um, or the, the the legalistic extreme of an evangelist. There's nothing more important than saving souls. Therefore, everybody get out of my way. And that that's not a fun environment to be in any more than the others are. Hmm, interesting. No, all I wanted to comment was just... Uh... I, I got to look at what the guy has done and it's amazing. And, um, and I think his heart's in the right spot. And just because you might disagree with him on non-salvation issues, like you're really going to throw him under the bus for that. And I'm like, uh, I got a problem with that. I got a huge problem with that. Like it's not a salvation issue. Yeah. And I understand being, uh, you know, truthful to uh to the bible to a uh, doctrine i get that but it's an issue that people have had lots of issues with and i think the way that you guys handled it you and chris langham i only listened to maybe the first 10 minutes or so of the side b of that that issue when you guys were talking about women in ministry yeah but i thought you handled it very well because you took like basically the first 10 minutes and just said hey look we get that people differ on this issue and some denominations, you know, they set the limit here. Other denominations, it's here. Here, you know, and you're like, so we're not saying this is the way it has to be. We're just saying, you know, I think it's it's okay to dialogue about this stuff. And that's the thing that I think bothers me the most. It's like when we're not okay to dialogue about the issues. Yeah. And and I would even say, you know, we can dialogue about issues because sometimes that's how we bring a brother back to the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like maybe that guy is wrong and let's, let's dialogue it. If we just start browbeating them and yeah, yeah, we got to kick Rick Warren out of the SBC because he did this. It's like, dude, wait a second. 
let's let's enter the dialogue. Let's have the dialogue. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe they're wrong. But you know, you know the old the old uh, verse: the iron sharpen iron. Because, like I've said, I've had a like listening back to our podcast. Like, because I told you now they're like really long episodes, right? Because right, you know, we can't shut up either one of us, and then we're clipping in this whole big thing from one of our old episodes. And I mean, they're really long, but I was listening to one of the ones that we just did. And, um, and, you know, going back and listening to one of our first episodes in it. And I was like, wow, dude, I was like really green back then. Yeah. A pest. What's that? You just said the word profit. I'm a little bit scared of that word profit. You know, and I'm like, (laughs) dude, man, that was 10 years ago. I was lots happened in that time. But you got to be willing to have the conversation. I think all too often people just want to jump on their high horse and not have the conversation. Right. We're so afraid of being canceled, you know, like, I mean, I've said controversial things for, for years and tried not to be a jerk about it because my views on things change so much. This is, this is what's kind of cool about what you're saying right there is 10 years on Pete, my views have changed again on things. And way back then, I remember saying at the beginning of the podcast, Hey, my views have changed over the years. Like, I would be unrecognizable to myself as a younger man. And yet I I kind of think, I think I would have listened to me because I'm not liberal. Like that was the thing that uh, being liberal was always my great fear as a young man. Like you I mean liberal Christian, out? not liberal. Political. A liberal Christian. You know, I, I was always afraid that one day I would betray because to me, liberalism, there's different brands of liberalism. There's there's the kind where it's like you've just betrayed the faith. You're an apostate. Then there's maybe something where you go, OK, um, I understand that maybe the world, my interpretation of the seven days of creation may be. Um, a little different than what the author intended in the scripture, but you're still being true to scripture. You're not, you're not looking at it. Like, I just don't think, you know, there's like two ways to look at things. Like, let's say you believe the earth is billions of years old. Um, and I used to be a, a seven literal day creationist. And I know already some of you are like, Oh, see, I knew it, but, but hear me out. Like I, I you got other that. people are saying, no, yeah, that is literal seven day creation. Right. So, and and for both. me, it, and even to this day, if the scripture tells me that that's the case and I'm 100% confident, that's what the scripture is trying to portray to me then I don't care. I I would be like, hey, that's what the scripture says. I put my faith in God and that's good enough for me. I don't reason my way into it. I just, you know, when when I look at how we interpret and, and I've studied the Bible so much that I believe it is 100% the infallible word of God. And I also think that um, Genesis 1 has poetry in it and it has a certain structure and rhythm and meter and the more I study it, the more I'm like, oh, uh, that may not be what the author was intending was for us to come away with the understanding um, thousands of years ago. It was made in seven literal days. Um, <clears throat> what I think it may be doing is kind of like when we read Matthew chapter one and we read the genealogy. And we know from reading uh, numbers and chronicles 
that um, it's not entirely accurate. And what I mean by that is Matthew um, says between Abraham, um, Adam to Abraham was 14 generations, from Abraham to David was 14 generations, from David to uh, Jesus was 14 generations. So you got these three cycles of 14 generations. We know that some are missed out there. So is Matthew being liberal? Is he being inaccurate? Is the Bible not inspired? Um, you can just read, compare scripture, scripture, know that there are not 14 generations between. Um, there's some inaccurate, but it was intentional. And so what I'm saying is the author's intent was to give you two cycles of 14. Why? Because for Matthew writing to Jews, he's tying it to the 70 weeks of Daniel, right? The, the, he's saying Jesus is the seventh seven. He's, he's that, you know, if you look at the, 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 uh, 490 years, he's saying Jesus is the fulfillment of what Daniel saw. So 14, 14, 14 is six weeks. So when you're reading about Jesus, it's saying you're entering the seventh week that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills all that. So it's not that it's inaccurate. It's that the author's intent was maybe not what you thought it was. The author's intent was not, hey, let me give you an accurate genealogical record right here. It's let me take Jesus's actual genealogy, modify it to make a point that Daniel made. So that's a little bit different than saying, ah, I think the Bible's inaccurate and it's not the word of God. You're giving faith to the to the writer of scripture that they knew what they were doing. And they're not quite saying what you think they're saying. Um I think and, that's that's the issue right there. It's the interpretation. Yeah. Like I remember uh I think it was Don Stoner. One of his lines was, What was the the author's intent? Yeah. And that's where I think we miss it because we just assume based on tradition more than anything else. Well, this is what the intent was because this is what I've been taught the intent was, but was that the intent? And that's, that's why I think there are some issues that they're not salvation issues and they're, they're okay for us to discuss it. Like, why do you think the author's intent was one? And, you know, I think the author's intent was another let's right. discuss that. And, and I'm totally cool with that. And again, because it's not a salvation issue, you yeah. know, if someone came back and they were having issues with salvation issue, I would, again, I would say, you know, when it comes to salvation, there is, it's, it's, how did you guys put it on that podcast? Uh, one verse theology. It's not one verse theology. Right. Like, there's well, a funny. lot of verses. It's funny because I'm getting feedback from people. I never expected to like, Hey, I agree with you on this women teaching thing because it's it's a if we got that one verse wrong from Paul, then we have done a huge disservice. And I maintain it would it's not hard to show people, hey, maybe you got that wrong. Just take a step at the second part of that verse and tell me what it means. And people go, Oh, you know, um, can't, you know, uh, I can't. And I'm like, right. So you can't uh, you can't explain the second part of that verse to me. Maybe you don't understand the first part of that verse as well as you think you do. Let's let's walk it back a bit. And here's the thing, like I want everyone to know, like for me, and I know we're not here to talk about women in ministry. Um, for me, it's more of an issue of again, I believe the Bible is the flat out inspired, infallible word of God. I do. I'm I'm a I got a high view of scripture. Scripture is 
it as far as I'm concerned. It's all I'd ever need to hear. But like we've said before, I don't trust my interpretation of scripture. I trust scripture wholeheartedly. And these conversations cause you to go, okay, maybe I'm not seeing what I thought I'm seeing. And so, yeah, I mean, but, but with Rick, you know, it is funny, man, because I don't think, I know I was women in ministry as team, like team. I, I had already had arrived there once I had hit a pest, right? When I understood team ministry, I did that. You were a bit of a journey on that. You're just behind me. I was maybe five years ahead of you on that. Um, but it, it is cool to kind of watch some of that develop. Well, to me, I think it was for me, I would say, cause I even remember talking to Charlie about it at refuge long beach. Yeah. And he and I were on the same page. I have no idea where Charlie is today. Right. But at yeah. that time he and I were on the same page and I still remember we were going through, uh, I believe it was Colossians four, right. You know, the verse I'm talking about, was it Colossians? Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden you go, uh-huh. Like in church, you literally did that. You're like, uh-huh <laughs> and like i'm like wait 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 what does the bible say like i was like wait hold on a second here hold on a second <laughs> and like that was all you, like that wasn't the point <clears throat> what you were going over you were just like uh-huh and i'm like well and honestly things like that started me going wait a second what is being said here and you know even having conversations with people about that specific verse and i'm like okay you were literally doing gymnastics to get around the issue here i'm like uh hold on hold hold the train let's okay let's go back and actually look at all this stuff and that's why for me i I remember having this conversation with uh uh the the church planner formerly known as white tyrone (laughs) and again i have no idea where where he's at, at at all on this but i remember we were discussing the same issue, women in ministry. And the only reason why we're bringing this up is because this ties back to Rick Warren. And yeah, I just yeah, remember yeah. people like really wanting to, to hate on him uh, when the SBC was going through their stuff with him. And, and I remember I go, you know, here's the thing. Here's one of the issues. When I've gone back and reread the New Testament and everywhere it says brothers, and then it's got the little number next to it and says, oh, you know, look down at the look down at the notes on your Bible. Right. Yeah. And it, down in the notes, it goes, well, this this means brothers and sisters. I'm like, right now, let's reread the verse going brothers and sisters. It's like all of a sudden this masculine feel of yeah. the Bible where it's always the man telling the men and you men go take it back to your wives. It literally takes on a completely different yes. feel. And you're like, dude, no, he's talking to the men and women. Right. But we've got, and I still remember years ago, I was a kid, some, uh, some, you know, Bible uh, version came out with uh, a version that basically spelled it out. It said brothers and sisters, and they, they didn't, uh, they corrected it. They just basically said, here's, here's technically what that word means. It's brothers and sisters. And I remember everyone goes, oh, they've gender neutralized it. It's a false Bible. It's a (laughs) false, and like literally that it died. It got no, it got no yeah. play. It got killed off because, you know, all you got to do is claim, you know, oh, this is a Bible that's woke when no, they were literally just going, look, let's, let's actually translate the words as they're supposed yeah. to be translated. Yeah. Let's, let's say when um, it says to the churches, um, you know, such and such, um, maybe it's talking to females too. Maybe they were in those churches. You know, it's just a thought. So okay. it, it's so funny, man. Cause yeah, but you know, again, I, 
I I was on all those bandwagons, you know, like when when uh when you're talking about when I was like, uh-huh, you know, like just it's easy to do that because you know, for me, I, I was on the other side for so long. And that's kind of where um I would make all those arguments and I would hear them in my head when I was making them at times. And um, and so I think what's really helpful is for people to know that um you're going to change and you're going to grow, hopefully. And it won't, it won't be like you can change your views and your your high view of scripture never changes. And I know people don't believe me on this until it starts to happen that your your high view of scripture hasn't changed, but you get a low view of your own interpretation of the infallible word of God. You just again, when and you can listen to this um where we talk about this. Chris is conservative theologically. I'm conservative theologically. In fact, I belong right now to the free Methodists. Uh, I'm a Methodist. I'm now a Methodist, Pete. <laughs> That's the best. I forgot about that clip. Oh, my gosh. We I'm a Methodist, show. and we believe that everything you... Oh, wait, no, no. How's he go? I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, and we believe that everything you believe, except we meet on Saturdays. <laughs> what? <laughs> We used to play this Family Guy clip of this Seventh Day Adventist and this Methodist having a conversation, and uh, <laughs> I'm hearing the guy in my head going, go doing, go doing, go doing. That's what's so funny, right? Because it's like all of a sudden we believe everything you believe, except we meet on Saturday instead of Sunday. And like Methodist is just like, well, I don't understand. Yeah, like, how could you do that? And uh, you know, but it it's funny because I remember we showed that to Jeff Vanderstelt because one of his guys was a Seventh Day Adventist, and it was so stinking funny. We're like, here, oh you gotta God. see this clip. <laughs> you know, I'm going back looking at these videos of us interviewing these people. I had no decorum. I mean, literally, like I'm with these guys and I'm punking them the whole time I'm interviewing them. I think someone would argue you still don't have any decorum. I think so. I think so. But uh, except until we uh, met Francis Chan, an unstoppable force met the immovable object. And remember, I got stage fright. Yeah, and I was like, Chan. "It's just Francis Chan." Like to me, he was like, I, 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 "Mr. He Chan, was nothing to I, me." <laughs> I mean, I've now sat and interviewed Andy Stinking Stanley. I mean, now you know. Like I've been somewhere. I I haven't I arrived. Rick Warren, though he won't let me interview him. But yeah, anyways, you know it's funny. <laughs> Philip Yancey, no decorum there. Woo! So that was probably the best. It like, was so. Okay, guys, you have to understand. You have to. I I know this isn't smack talk, but we were doing all these interviews, and we were on a we were doing a teleconference interview with Philip Yancey, and Peyton kept going. Phil and Philip kept going. It's. Philip, like over and over again. It's Philip. Okay, we, like, well, look here, Phil. <laughs> we would use back in the day, we would use Google Meet, but on this one, I pretend I was a Starship trooper dropping into the call because I was a little bit late. Yeah, it was a conference as usual. call. That's because, yeah. Yeah, and I go, when I drop into it, and it totally stunned him. He had no idea what to do. But sometimes we, Pete and I would hang out. We'd get together on Google Meet. Do you remember this? And we'd have the filters. And we'd be like mm-hmm. Dr. Seuss hats floating on our head, big sunglasses. And Pete have a cigar sticking out of his mouth, a little cartoon cigar. And our guests would show up. And we're just, I think we did that to Stetzer when he showed up. You know, like we're just goofing off with all this crap floating around. And then we're like quick trying to thing, take it off. We didn't have that. 
it's a good thing he didn't have that goatee he had for the longest time, or I might have just wanted to grab onto that sucker and just pulled on it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now they have those black, like eight bit sunglasses. When you make a really good point, I think today, if we were doing that, I am, we were interviewing, I think today I'd be tempted every time the guy made a point to put those sunglasses on, you know, just kind of heads for a little bit. I guess we got a new podcast that we got to start doing. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So, uh, but anyways, that's probably enough time that we have, but I was going to say, if you want to hear what Pete was talking about, you can head over to through the word, get the app. You can listen to, I believe it was first Timothy two. And I've got a, um, like two B sides, I think where I unpack the controversy a little bit more on women in ministry, which you can listen to a sound biblical argument for them being able to participate. And, uh, and, and I know that just sounds so weird for that even to come out of my mouth, uh, that way. They even just putting it that way sounds so wrong, but, uh, I'm speaking for those of you that don't believe, uh, that way. Hopefully, uh, we can, uh, see you, uh, develop a little bit in your theology. If we don't, hey, we can still be friends. That's fine. Um, but Pete, I, I think that's all I got. If you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.